Good morning. Good morning. Please join me in the prayer for illumination. Loving God, Loving God we, gather we gather before, before you today, today thankful, thankful and, and grateful that we serve our God of the second chance. You know the depths of our soul and our tendency to stray from you. Remind us that the way we live and the words we speak reveal our faith. May we learn from Peter's denial and restoration story. Open us to the generosity of forgiveness and giving second chances. To you be all honor and glory. Amen. Today's scripture is from John chapter 21, verses 1 through 19, entitled, Jesus Appears to Seven Disciples. After these things, Jesus showed himself again to the disciples by the Sea of Tiberias, and he showed himself in this way. Gathered there together were Simon Peter, Thomas, called the twin, Nathaniel of Cana in Galilee, the sons of Zebedee, and two others of his disciples. Simon Peter said to them, I am going fishing. They said to him, We will go with you. They went out and got into the boat, but that night they caught nothing. Just after daybreak, Jesus stood on the beach, but the disciples did not know that it was Jesus. Jesus said to them, Children, you have no fish, have you? They answered him, No. He said to them, Cast the net to the right side of the boat, and you will find some. So they cast it, and now they were not able to haul it in because there were so many fish. That disciple whom Jesus loved said to Peter, It is the Lord. When Simon Peter heard that it was the Lord, he put on his outer garment, for he had taken it off and jumped into the sea. But the other disciples came in the boat, dragging the net full of fish, for they were not far from the land, only about a hundred yards off. When they had gone ashore, they saw a charcoal fire there, with fish on it and bread. Jesus said to them, Bring some of the fish that you have just caught. So Simon Peter went aboard and hauled the net ashore, full of large fish, 153 of them. And though there were so many, the net was not torn. Jesus said to them, Come and have breakfast. Now none of the disciples dared to ask him, Who are you? Because they knew it was the Lord. Jesus came and took the bread and gave it to them and did the same with the fish. This was now the third time that Jesus appeared to the disciples after he was raised from the dead. When they had finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? He said to him, Yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Jesus said to him, Feed my lambs. A second time he said to him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He said to him, Yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Jesus said to him, Tend my sheep. He said to him the third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter felt hurt because he said to him the third time, Do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. Jesus said to him, Feed my sheep. Very truly, I tell you, when you were younger, you used to fasten your own belt and to go wherever you wished. But when you grow old, you will stretch out your hands, and someone else will fasten a belt around you and take you where you do not wish to go. He said this to indicate the kind of death by which he would glorify God. After this, he said to him, follow me. This is the word of God for us, the people of God. Thanks be to God. Thank you, Laura. Have you ever been overwhelmed? If you're a human being, I think your answer would be yes. 
I remember at Christmas in 2002, Dominic was just a few months old, and we had we were trying to navigate the busyness of the holiday season. From Thanksgiving through Advent and then Christmas time, for me as a first-time mom and for Dominic as a first-time human being, we were trying to figure out what, these, what all these firsts meant to us. It was not a bad time. It was a joyous time, but it was overwhelming. There were so many things to do and places to go, and, and this, there was this pressure of it being his first Christmas. It was the first everything. The, the first Thanksgiving, my sister made him a paper turkey hat, and, and his first picture with the Christmas tree, and his first big shopping trip, and the first time seeing Santa, and he was so little that Santa's beard like swallowed him all up. You couldn't even see him. His first Christmas in church. And I remember saying to my mom that beginning on December 26th, I was staying in my house for a month straight. I was so overwhelmed by all of the busyness. And I don't know if I really meant a month, but I am certain that I needed some normalcy. I needed a routine. I had a three-month-old baby. We barely had a routine as it was, but I needed something familiar. We had packed so much joy into the season of joy that it had sucked all the joy out of me. I was sleep-deprived. I was holidayed out. I needed some sort of normal. Life can be overwhelming. Even the good times can be overwhelming. Life is sometimes good, sometimes bad, and a lot of times somewhere in between, but we find these pockets of time where we're just overwhelmed. We find our disciples today seeking some kind of normal. They are looking for the comfort of something familiar. Now, they know that Jesus is alive. He's appeared to them before. But they're all still reeling from the newness of the death and resurrection. They're trying to process what does this really mean for us and for our lives, for our families, for our livelihood. What do we do now? They have more questions than answers, and they are struggling. In the midst of all of those questions and answers, Peter, much like me on December 26, declares, that's it, I'm going fishing. He needs something familiar. Fishing is as familiar to them as it can get. They know fishing. They do fishing. It's their livelihood. There are no questions. They can go on autopilot and just be. And so when Peter declares that he's going fishing, several of the other disciples agree. Let's all, let's go fishing. And so they set off. Peter, Thomas, Nathaniel of Cana, James and John, and the other two disciples, which I mentioned this at Republic. This always intrigues me in scripture. They name Simon Peter, Thomas, they give Thomas's nickname, the twin. Nathaniel of Cana, you don't hear too much about him, so they throw in where he's from. James and John, or it says the sons of Zebedee in some scriptures, and then the other two disciples. And it, this makes me crazy. Like the, the, the want to know in me wants to go, who else? You couldn't give us two more names? Like did those guys make you mad? What? And they're like, well, I'm not putting you in the story. So, ha. But it, yeah, so that's just a side note on my frustration reading scripture. I want to know who the other two disciples were. But that's a question for the other side of glory, I think. They had an uneventful night on the water. 
these disciples. In fact, it was too uneventful. They caught zero fish. Now, I've been with people when they catch zero fish. One of two things happens. They're either fine because a bad day fishing is a good, better than a good day at work, or they're mad because they have caught zero fish. They almost get irrational. My dad would say stuff like, you're not holding your mouth right. What does that mean? What does that even mean? What it, I, there's only one way to hold my mouth. I don't know. But somehow it was my fault that we caught no fish. I don't know. So, so there's one of, two, one of two things. And I'm not sure where our friends, the disciples, find themselves on this woeful fishing trip that they're on. If they were looking for calm in the midst of the overwhelm, if they were like December 26th me and they just wanted to be, maybe they're happy as a clam, floating along in the night, not bothered at all by their empty nets. Sunrise comes and the disciples are near the shore and a man appears on the shore. And he points out the obvious, which don't do this. If you're on a zero fish fishing trip, this is when you hear stuff like you're holding your mouth wrong. So... A man appears on the shoreline and he says, you haven't caught any fish. Yeah, we know. Throw your nets out on the right side of the boat, he says. Now, I don't know how his advice was received on the boat. These were men who fished as a profession, many of them. But after all, we know that they do it. So apparently his advice was received all right. They throw their nets on the right side of the boat and and before they know it, within moments, their nets are overwhelmed by the amount of fish in them. They couldn't even pull the net into the boat without tipping over. 157 fish. He can say how many fish, but still, we don't know the two disciples. Like, I, I know, I'll let it go, but it really bothers me. So, in that moment, John, known as the disciple that Jesus loved, we throw that in a lot, John, I'm so sorry. John says to Peter, it's the Lord. Now, I don't know if it was the moment that John saw Jesus on the shore or if it was the moment that he heard Jesus' voice, like Mary in the garden. I don't know when exactly he realized, but he realized that it's Jesus on the shore. And so he says to Peter, it's Jesus, it's the Lord. Maybe it was the miracle. Maybe it was the fish. I don't know. So John is the first to recognize that Jesus spoke to them from the shoreline. And I want to take a moment and, and look at the response to Jesus. John recognizes the risen Savior before anyone else does. He registers his response and says to Peter, look, it's the Lord. Now, I'm sure there was excitement in his voice. I'm sure that he was thrilled to see Jesus standing on the shore. But he processes his response to the Lord very differently than Peter does. Peter, in true Peter fashion, jumps out of the boat to swim the short distance to the shore. He doesn't wait for them to pull in the fish. He abandons the haul. He doesn't wait for them to ready themselves and row to the shore. He wasn't even the first to know it was Jesus, but he jumps from the boat. He doesn't wait for anything. He leaves the rest of the disciples to care for the fish and row in the hundred or so yards to shore. 
Now, both disciples realize that it's Jesus. One, John, quietly processes that God is in their midst. Peter jumps out of the boat and swims towards shore. Peter saw God, knew God, and jumped from the boat, abandoning his friends and his tasks. It was his idea to go fishing anyway. Now they have fish and he's out of the boat. If you had to guess which of these disciples had just denied even knowing Jesus, who would you have thought it was? The one who quietly stayed in the boat? Or the one who jumped and swam toward the risen Savior? Would you think it was the one who stayed in and helped to to bring the catch in? Or the one who couldn't contain himself and went overboard? Now, overboard is a good word for Peter. Peter's a reactor of sorts. I have a lot of sympathy for Peter. This is probably almost the scenario if my husband and I were in the boat. He would have been John, I would have been Peter. Out of the boat. Peter was a fairly reactive person. Peter wore his heart on his sleeve. He could be swept away with his emotions. He would act on them. So we should not be completely surprised at him going overboard at the sight of Jesus. But I wonder, because as a fellow reactor, I wonder sometimes when you're in the midst of your reaction, if you think, oh, hmm, as he swam, was he wondering how would he be received? On the shoreline. We don't know that Peter and Jesus had spoken. We know that he had seen Jesus. We don't know. We see this moment recorded. But I wonder as he swam toward the shore, did he think, is he going to be mad? Am I going to be forgiven? Do you ever have a conversation with someone or you see it coming and you think, I wonder how this is going to go? Did he know that he was swimming toward a savior of second chances? I don't know. But I am grateful that Jesus' grace and mercy is recorded here so we can know what to expect, what we can believe. We can know that we love and serve a God of second and third and fourth and fifth and sixth chances. We know that we love and serve a God who will forgive. Peter made a huge mistake several times over. Peter denied knowing Jesus. He denied being affiliated with Jesus. He said to Jesus that he would die for him. And then he said, I'm not with that man. I don't even know who that is. Imagine a person that you greatly love so much that it's recorded that you said you would die for him, with him. You had spent years living together, eating together, teaching. Imagine this friend saying, I don't, I don't know you. I'm not with you. Who, who is that? And I say to myself that I would do better if I were Peter. I would not deny Jesus. But then I'm reminded of the times that I have denied Jesus when I have withheld love or forgiveness from another, when I have overlooked the outcast, when I have chosen anger over mercy, when I have kept a record of others' wrongs, when I have sat comfortably in the judgment seat, 
when I have felt righteous in my judgment of another, when I have claimed self-sufficiency and I can do it attitude rather than complete dependence on God. When we do these things, Jesus hears us say, I'm not with him. When we do these things, it is our voice that says, I don't even know him. You've heard the saying, actions speak louder than words. So what do our actions communicate to God about our understanding of who God is and who we are? Do our actions communicate to God that we understand mercy and grace? We know that we have been forgiven and so we reach out in compassion and understanding to others. What is Jesus' response to these disciples? To the one who abandoned him in fear. To the one who denied him three times. He stands on the shore preparing a meal. He offers them companionship and abundance. He offers them his time, himself, his presence. And to Peter, he offers forgiveness and a second or a third or a fourth chance. Peter's mistake does not dim God's love for him. Our mistakes do not dim God's love for us. But our mistakes should change us. We should acknowledge them and learn from them and become better version of ourselves. Jesus greets Peter on the beach and once again the disciples gather around a table with Jesus to eat and I wonder if they remembered as he called them to remember. If they remembered the night that he was arrested. And I wonder if those memories turn over in Peter's mind as he remembers the Savior who knelt before him to wash his feet, who within just a few hours would be arrested, and Peter would say, I don't know him. I'm not with him. And I wonder, as Jesus begins to question Peter, if all those emotions are just under the surface. Scripture says, when they had finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Jesus said, feed my lambs. A second time he said to him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Jesus said to him, tend my sheep. He said to him a third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter had the nerve to feel hurt. Do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. Jesus said to him, feed my sheep. In offering forgiveness to Peter, God did not simply want restoration. He didn't simply want to restore the relationship. He wanted better for Peter. The power of Jesus' forgiveness is what lies on the other side of these forgiveness moments. Jesus invites Peter into deeper relationship, deeper service. Jesus invites Peter into a new type of servant leadership. He says, feed my lambs, tend my sheep, feed my sheep, love my people, care for them. God is empowering Peter to care for God's people. God is empowering Peter to live into a changed life, a sanctified life. 
Peter's mistake is a big one. But God's forgiveness is bigger. God doesn't just absolve Peter of guilt for the mistake he made. God builds on that mistake and invites Peter to serve as a bridge for others. God can take our mistakes and make them our missions. God can take our brokenness and make it our message. Because I can tell you all day long about what, has got, what God has done in my life, but if you can see true change in me, that speaks louder. If you can see that I offer forgiveness to others because I know that I have been forgiven, and so who am I to withhold? If you can see that I'm quick to offer mercy because I know that mercy has been given to me, doesn't that speak volumes as to the Jesus that I know? God redeemed Peter, and Peter became the rock upon which he would build his church. And remember, God declared that before Peter denied him. God planned to use Peter as the rock for his church before these mistakes were made, knowing that Peter was going to say, I don't know him. He knew that mistakes were going to be made. Nothing comes as a shock to God. Peter himself says, you know everything. If we turn toward him, whether it be by jumping from the boat or slowly making our way toward acknowledgement, God can redeem us in spite of our mistakes. And not only redeem us, but use us. God can build on those mistakes and missteps and put us in service for his name's sake doesn't take very long for Peter to put new action to his words. In Acts, we see Peter serving as the rock of the church, living into God's word for him and living out this commissioning. Don't let mistakes define you. You are more than your worst days. Don't try to deny God the privilege of receiving you on the shore. Don't deny yourself the privilege of living into a better version of yourself as the power of God works within you, sanctifying you, bringing you closer to him. Church, how can you forgive someone today? We prayed for those people. We named people that we struggled to forgive at the beginning of Lent. We wrote their names in our prayer pockets and we prayed over them. Have you reached a place of peace with those you have named, are you on the bridge to peace? Have you forgiven yourself for past mistakes? Have you accepted the forgiveness that Jesus offers? Peter didn't dig in and become named by his mistakes. We don't know him as Peter the denier. We know him as Peter the rock in spite of the denial. Have you for accepted the forgiveness Jesus offers? And then what will you do with that? How will you be the better version of yourself? Where in the world is God calling you to feed his lambs, tend his sheep, feed his sheep? Who is waiting to hear your story of redemption? What will grace enable us to become as individuals and as a church? These are the questions for us to ponder as we make our way toward the shore, toward the risen Christ. And all God's people said, amen. You may remain seated as we reflect and sing hymn number